Welcome to the Birthing Ad Pod- Podcast. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early parenting. Yay! G'day, how's it going? I'm Steve from the Prepare Foundation. We are a registered charity that helps first-time dads make an awesome contribution at the birth of their child. This is a podcast where we get blokes talking about their experience to share their wisdom with other men who are about to go through the life-altering change that comes with first-time fatherhood. So let's hear about the transition of parenthood from a dad's perspective. Wondering if you might be able to just introduce yourself and introduce Tresillian and what you do because you're talking to the first time expectant dad and and you're trying to t- you know convince him to just be more involved and so understanding what Tresillian because a lot of a lot of first time dads might not have heard of Tresillian but yeah uh, thanks Stephen for that and I'm proud to be a male in this field because there's not many of us working in the early parenting sphere. Um, My background is actually nursing and midwifery. So I was a midwife back in 1986 or so. So I understand the transition from dad's not attending birth, for example, to now being more readily accepted, but still having some mental barriers between the dad's feeling really accepted into those positions. I've also got a background in being the CEO at Caritani for 10 years and now the CEO at Tresillian for seven years. So been in this role for a long time in this early parenting sphere as well as a midwifery background. And I have three children and three grandchildren now. So I've seen the differences in what we did with our children and the difficulties we experienced. Not having internet connectivity when we had our own children, it was difficult to um, seek support, it was um, you're sort of left by your own a bit. You're sort of um, a bit isolated. And I see now with the, my grandchildren and how they're more connected. So my children with their children are now they'll look up something quickly, like if it's some support network or any support. With Tresillian, for example, we've been in operation now for 102 years. Would you believe? So we started with the the first pandemic, which was the Spanish flu. So this is our second pandemic that we're we're going through and um, we're established really during that time of 1918-19 where one in 10 children would die in the first year of life. So that was either from that flu period or from poor nutrition, poor feeding, poor sanitation back in those days. So we were set up, 10% of children, as I said, were dying in the first year of life. Um, That's now down to 0.0 something, but quite significant. We do lots of education and training over the last 100 years. Our technical title is we're the Royal Society for the Welfare of Mothers and Babies. So that just takes you back about when we're missing out on fathers there, but it was always about mothers and babies. And I find now that little things have come up. Let me just divert a brief second there. We've had mental health being a big factor. We're working closely with Royal Prince Alfred Hospital to open up 10 mental health beds for mothers and fathers suffering from severe postnatal depression where they have to be admitted to a mental health facility and rather going to mainstream, it's going to be a purpose-built. And what they used to call was a mother and baby unit. But through a bit of stakeholder engagement, we've come up with the term parent and baby unit and that's now been officially adopted only in the last two months to be moving forward. The, the correct name of that facility would be a parent and baby unit. No way that would have been thought of, you know, even a few years ago, but now it's very much at the forefront of what we do. So Tresillian 
provides a range of services, whether it's a parent helpline, which is um, seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., where you can dial a, a phone number and a nurse will talk to you then, and that'll give you the first sort of entry point into our services. So that's what we call our primary level. As you know, parents, when they leave the hospital, will have a child and family health nurse check on them in the first couple of weeks of birth and they can access their GP. But they're sort of short, sharp interactions. And if you need more support, then you'd be ringing Tresillian or Karatani. And then you could get a referral to one of our day, day services where you can come to a physical location or a virtual location, which we're doing now because of COVID. We're doing more virtual consults. And during that time, you would have a child and family health nurse who would help actually talk about the goals you want to achieve over that time, whether it's sleep and settling, whether it's feeding. And they would sort of give you some tools. They'd teach you some tips, give you some tools to go away with, practice at home, and then come back a week later and and a bit like a rinse and repeat, do that again and see how you go, give some feedback. And then we can go to the next level where we have a residential unit where Families can come and stay for five days at one of our centres. So at Tresillium, we've got four centres at Willoughby, Wilsoncraft, Canterbury and Nepean. Willoughby mainly, Wilsoncraft is day stay, but we've got three and we've got one in Canberra and we're opening up one soon in Maxville. But they're overnight beds where the, the mother and baby and the father or partner will come in and stay for five days be assessed for what their goals are, have a mental health screen. So we do the EPDS, Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, when they arrive to see what state of mind they're in. And then we target their care, whether it's focus on sleep and settling, but also the mother's or father's care as well. So whether they require some psychology support or psychiatry support, we would implement that over a five-day period. And what we find is... With those residential stays, they're actually an opportunity, if the dad's involved, is to get the dad even more involved. And so even though they might not get time off work, they can come and stay overnight, you know, have a shower in the morning, go off to work during the day, but come back and be part of the care, learning tips. I think over Tresillian's 100 years, we're getting better at engaging the fathers. It wasn't until we have a professor in child and family health who's retiring this year after 40 years. And she gave a speech literally last Thursday at our AGM just to reflect on her time in 40 years of child and family health to say that I think it was in the late 70s or early 80s at Tresillian, they just started introducing double beds so that the, the father could stay overnight. Up till, up till the mid-70s, early 80s, the fathers weren't really, they weren't encouraged to stay and actually weren't, weren't wanted to stay, I don't think, in those days. So... We're now focused more on how do we get the fathers more involved. We're having fathers groups that we actually run. So when the, I think one of the keys to the residential stay is when the, the parents come in, they realise they're not alone with their struggles. Sometimes you you come in and see another family and think, geez, I thought I was just by myself in this situation, but really there's other people experiencing the same things. And whether it's your first one or your second one or your all the babies are different. And then the dads start talking to each other about their experience. And so we facilitate that through a bit of a group. And we don't just run a, um, what we would do at a mother's group and just rebadge it as calling it a father's group. We try and change the whole content and how it's delivered. And moving forward, we're looking at doing more around that as far as 
like on one of the nights we might have a barbecue night where the dads can cook a barbecue and just talk about, you know, for the dinner instead of having the hospital food come, you would have a, a thing where the, the guys would talk or you'd order pizza in or, or that. And it's breaking down those barriers about saying that you're struggling. The other thing we've engaged heavily in now is an associate professor, Dr. Richard Fletcher, who's at Newcastle University. I don't know if you know him, Stephen, but yeah, the SMS for Dads program, really, really good. We're heavily engaged. We actually fund an offshoot of that to make sure regional dads are getting that access as well. So state government are funding it for some of the pilot sites, but we're Tresillian's funding it for those regional dads, so no one misses out on that. And it's really really specific messaging to fathers, which is different to messaging mothers. It's very much different. And it's, as you know, and I'm a dad and granddad and, and yourself being a dad, that, and I'll admit I have a short attention span sometimes when it comes to <laughs> parenting messages. And, and you really want it to be short and sharp. And I just want to hear what are some key messages. And that's sometimes what dads want to hear, some key takeaway messages. So we're meeting with as many people as possible when it comes to dads and doing research around that. Everything we do now has, you know, engagement of fathers as well, no matter what we do. Fantastic. That's just pleasing to hear your your attitude towards fathers and the and the development of you know a, a more targeted approach to to dads and and I, th- I think that's driven by the society as well. Dads want to be more engaged, don't they? They they really care these days. And and I think one of the things that my work has revealed is that it's it's actually a window into this healthy masculinity space, dads, you know, because our society allows dad to be tender, he to be loving, to be nurturing to to his kids. And as and I think there's a real I like to think of that there's a real opportunity if we get them during pregnancy that they're gonna, you yeah. know, I don't know, just uh, be be better towards their families and themselves and, and perhaps, you know, be healthier, hopefully. Definitely very much about that self-help and the self-care. And I want to keep myself well so I can play with my grandchildren. You want to really engage and you have to sort of look after yourself so you can look after them. Yeah, because it takes it out of you a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I wonder if you could share how you think parenting has changed over the years. You did mention the internet, but I think there's, there might yeah. be some more things, great insights that you have there. So I think from my early days in, in parenting and also nursing where we did a lot of work in maternity, it was very much one person seen as the care provider. So there was what we call one primary carer, which was the mother, and that's how it was always referred to. And the fathers were referred to as the secondary carer, which was quite terrible. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes I might be out with the, the grandchildren or even when I had my own children by myself, and you would have people stop and say, isn't it nice that you're babysitting the kids? And I said, well, I'm not babysitting. They're my kids. I'm, I'm caring for my kids as, as my wife would care for the kids. She's not babysitting them. She's, we've both got caring roles. So we've, we scrapped those terminologies, those primary carer and um, secondary carer. There's no secondary carer. And what we're doing is pri- trying to put a, an importance around the father's contribution as far as that there's three people within this little relationship and plus other siblings as well, but there's three if there's only one child, which is the, the two parents, predominantly a father and mother, but it could be other same-sex, same-sex partners. But the, the fathers have that role where that rough and tumble play that 
they don't get with the mother. The mothers are very nurturing, as you know, just without generalising too much, but a lot of nurturing. The, the fathers that do the rough and tumble play and do the, you know, just those little teasing things and things that you do with kids. I mean, it's just a, a completely different context, but it also enhances that experience of the, of the child and, and gives them a different vision and a different way of seeing how they're connected. Because it's all about having that safe attachment for children and they have a different attachment with both the mother and father and it's a it's very much safe attachment but just a little bit different than sometimes. So over all that time I've seen very little engagement to very very much more engagement. Um, we'd still like to get more male staff into our field. So we're a lot of nursing staff providing our care and we only have one male nurse. So out of, I don't know, maybe 200 female nurses. So not many going into that area, whether it's midwifery or child and family health, trying to get more of that to happen. And also looking at, from Tresillian's point of view, we have a board of directors as well and making sure we have a you know, uh, equal mix of uh, male-female um, where we can. And also we're looking at ambassadors as well, looking at some, we've got a, a female ambassador, we've got Erin Molan who does a lot of the, the footy on TV with Channel 9 and sports and she's very much understanding of a bit of the blokes world. But um, we want some male ambassadors too. So we're looking at that very strongly because there is a different focus and our messaging needs to be more towards that. Are you planning to attend the birth of your child? Well, the safest scenario is you're calm, relaxed and know how to provide physical, emotional and practical support. The worst case scenario is you have no idea and end up looking like a deer in the headlights. Pitilbra, don't be a deer in the headlights, mate. Birthing Dads has a suite of groundbreaking resources designed to give you a confidence boost ahead of the big day. And the best part, it's all on demand and 100% online. Go to birthingdads.com.au and use the coupon code POD, that's P-O-D, for a 10% discount and learn how to support birth like a superstar. You mentioned a little bit about attachment. Well, not only the importance of child attachment, but how we might be able to to leverage that or to get that going. Yeah, so we're running we run programs like you might have heard of the Circle of Security program. Really good, and we're trying to get more dads involved, and we're doing that virtually now. We're starting to do some virtual because we had to close groups for a little while. What we're doing too, along with that attachment, is with the postnatal depression as well. We're trying to building opportunities for dads to engage in that as well because we know if, if the, a mother is suffering from postnatal depression then you know one in ten fathers will then also experience that as well so running our groups on Saturdays as well has been a big help and in the evenings but with attachment we can just clearly see and demonstrate how important it is to have that safe secure attachment for the child we know with their brain still developing in those, you know, the first 2,000 days of life, as we keep talking about at the moment, is crucial to the development of the brain. And the brain is still being wired long after the child is born. Like it's still, it's still developing its um, synapses and that as well. And so that safe, secure attachment allows a child to explore safely so they can reach out and go explore things and come back to their, their parent Children that don't have that attachment are very subdued, don't grow, and their mind isn't developing at the same rate as, as another child that would have that safe attachment to allow for that exploration. We see children whose parents are somewhat depressed, so postnatal depression 
and or anxiety, we see their mood is affected by their parent. But so they their mood will sort of sometimes mirror that of the parents. So if the parents withdrawn, anxious or depressed and not really engaging, then the child sort of mirrors that. And and we know that mirroring happens a lot with children when you'll see that they they look at your eyes, they gaze and they'll follow your direction. You smile, they'll smile. So they're very much receptive to your mood. And so your mood is displayed through your face. And if you're depressed and not showing that emotion or talking and getting down low, then they're sort of not getting the full opportunities available to them. So very, very important that we teach that. We get the fathers down low. The rough and tumble's good and still get that eye contact and then let them run off and then bring them back and yeah so it's a continual process but it's about communicating not just verbally but with that close face contact as well fantastic that's some great advice there what about perinatal attachment just right in the beginning you bring baby home what are the methods of attachment at that point do you think yeah it's a really important that we took we gone through this a number of times with different ways we do things but definitely that face-to-face contact where possible and it's just little things examples of where we have baby carriers you know you wear the the backpack and you know straps onto the front and and the baby's looking forward and that's really good but at some like you couldn't do that all day the child sort of doesn't know where they are they need that facial connection as well so little things like that are important just to Maybe pull the baby out and spin it around and make sure you got that facial connection. So have the child looking outward all the time is good because they need to explore, but they also need to have that reverse look and get that, that comfort they need from knowing they're in the right spot. Babies can smell and hear the sound of your voice, and so close contact is always really good. And we talk about skin contact for premature babies when they're born, and especially in the neonatal intensive care units, they're doing that now with the fathers, having their shirt off and having the baby rest against her chest. So they're very much what we would see in kangaroos and, uh, and other, whether marsupials or mammals, where they're actually getting that skin contact as well. Always talking to them when you're changing nappies and bathing is really important. And the Tresillion, some of the tips we, we give out, not just around attachment, but about getting a routine right. Routine is sort of everything for the child. So like a sleeping routine going into the evening, you would have, you know, changing the nappy, feeding, bathing, and then settling. And just doing that every night, the same thing, the same the same way. You can do that at other locations, but just getting the, those four things, you know, changing nappies, feeding, you know, bathing, and then sleeping sort of. And it becomes a pattern. And then if you don't do it, they're a bit sort of thinking, why isn't that happening? And it sort of ties into the attachment thing where they, Routine is part of that attachment. So but definitely getting close, face, smell and touch, really important, and the hearing, they hear your voice and the soothing voice. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? It uh, has to be that kind of yeah. often, uh, you know, nurturing kind of attitude. Uh, noise, is, noise isn't a problem with settling so much as long as you get a lot of white noise and a lot of, you know, it's consistent noise. Uh, Short, sharp noises are might you know awaken them or alert them, but um, lots of white noise is good. Keep the house busy and and try not to be too quiet. 
So what would be a couple of settling hacks that that uh, you might have learnt over the years, Robin? I'm sure you've got a couple. Yeah. Um, well, we have a lot of experts um, for that, Stephen, and I'm I'm not one of the experts, but I think, as I was saying just previously, the key to it is routine. I can't keep stressing that enough. It's routine. It's about making sure that the, the baby and the, the young child knows what is going to happen. I was talking about routine for the, the baby more so there, but if we're going to talk about the toddler, the toddler then becomes into another 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 stratosphere of different complexities. They're very much toddler behaviour is very much like adolescent behaviour. So toddler behaviour is very much, they don't know how to share. They're very much, it's a bit like if they're left in the wild at three years old, they have to grab food and hold it, make sure they don't know when they're going to be fed next. It's like every much is about them. So it's about striving to survive. And so think little tips on toddler behaviour is about Routine as well, but about being not so much decisive, but about just say you're trying to dress a toddler in the morning. A lot of parents trying to engage with a toddler would let them have carte blanche on whatever they want to wear, for example, and then you get into these, I don't want that, I don't want this. And But with toddlers, you're best off putting like two outfits out for the day on the bed and they get to pick one, for example. And so little things like that, it sort of gives you that control, but they need to know that they've got a little bit of control. And so you give them a little decision to make, something easy, something that you know what decision they're going to make anyway, but you're letting them decide and that's how you engage them more. Same with food, eating with them. We, we do a lot of work around feeding, you know, with vegetables and things like that. So everything we do is about role modelling. So if you come to Tresillion for five days, there's no TVs in the bedroom, there's no TVs in the dining areas it's parents sitting at the table together and you should all be eating the same thing and that's where they learn it's all about role modeling and if you're eating some carrots I'll try a carrot but it's about introducing it slowly and then having treats separate and then having a period of time where they would eat and then you stop it no baby is or child or toddler is going to starve to death so you have a point in time where you stop they may not have eaten everything, but you stop then and then you take that away and you take them out of that situation and then they learn that there is a set time to eat and if you don't eat, it's it's gone. So that's important for them to understand that as well and, and they won't starve, I can assure you that. So, I mean, you've already covered a couple of these things and I guess I – but but what, what should they know about parenting? You know, what what is it – a few top tip like things that he should really know. Yeah. I think looking back, during that whole antenatal period, that birthing process, and being a midwife, you know, we have antenatal classes, you know, six weeks of antenatal classes, and there's nothing on, you know, taking that baby home, especially for the fathers as well. If I was giving some tips on that, it's about understanding it's okay to ask for help, that you cannot know what to do. It's really, it's not easy having a child coming home, and part of what Tresillian does is give you tips on, when the baby cries, what are the cues? What is the baby telling you? So the, the, the nurses here will teach the, the parents, both mother and father or significant others and grandparents as well. On, and what is the baby telling you? Is it hungry? Has it got a dirty nappy? Is it tired? And there's signs about, you know, baby rubbing its eyes or the you know, baby making mouthing gestures, you know, when it's hungry and different things. And so if you're applying the wrong response to that crying, you're just going to get an unsettled baby longer and longer the more unsettled they become, the harder it is to bring them back to being 
a calmer position. So I think my tips would be about reaching out early, not leaving it to a crisis point because you get to the point where it takes longer to get back to that period where you have a really good relationship happening with a child and, and, and having something where you're really enjoying it. We want people to really enjoy fatherhood. Anyway, I'm talking about fatherhood. We want them to enjoy it and not fear it. And there's little things that you just are unaware of as a new father about how it could be easier. And so reading that and learning that, little tips on how to enjoy the baby and how to, those cues, I keep talking about those cues about, you know, what to listen for with the child and, and communicating with your partner as well. When we talk about the first 2,000 days of a child's life, that is our catchphrase. And what that means is that if we look after the mother and father really well, then the child should have a really good trajectory for its path going forward. And so if we're not supporting the mother and father, then the child's not supported. So it's, we're really trying to make sure the mother and father are supported every step of the way. And we know it'll, it'll give us great results moving forward. So I think reaching out early is a, is a top tip. Talking to your partner as well because you miss things. You are busy in that time. Some people are trying to work as well and maintain a home. Finances can be a problem. So it doesn't matter. It's not just the parenting and the child being awake which can cause distress amongst the, the relationship. There's financial pressures. There's in-law pressures. There's friends pressures who are trying to help you but not sure how to help. So I think you need to work on it as a team. And I think always talking to your partner about, I feel a bit down today and maybe it's your turn to have a, a night off or, or something or um, definitely communication is key to it all and, and just really declaring that you're struggling early. Has the pressure on parents increased over the time you've been doing this? Yeah, I think back in the day, especially when, my, when I first started parenting in the, in, in the late 80s with my children, it was very much you were by yourself in your home. You were literally... <laughs> One of you would try, you know, run up to the shops and try and get something to bring back. But now you're, you're out and about, you're working, we're trying to get, well, now we need, a lot of families need both incomes coming in to actually just maintain your, either rent or your, your home payment. You're very much juggling things. You're very much, you're out and about more than you were back in our day. Honestly, you, everything is, is sort of online as well. So you've got to, you know, online presence. People are going out more. I find people are going out more than they did in our day. We would have a family barbecue. That would be a big thing. But you're going out more. You're scrutinised more when you go out, um, whether you go to the shops or not. No, I think it is more difficult now. You actually, people are quite critical online, you know, whether you use a dummy or don't use a dummy or, you know, it's, it is really, it's, it's hard to manage, I could imagine, nowadays. It's um, quite stressful. Yeah. Yeah, which segues into another question that I think is really important for dads to understand. And I think perhaps if I'm generalising, men might have a little bit of a harder shell as in like, well, I'm doing it my way kind of thing and and not necessarily be too impacted by societal expectations, family expectations, partner expectations. But I think first time new mums are probably the most marginalised when it comes to expectations. What's your view on the expectations that are placed on that that new mother from our society, from the woman on the bus and and the effect that that has? Yeah, I don't know how they do it. It is really, really, really difficult. Mothers' groups are very 
supportive networks, but there's also the judgment which comes along hand in hand. And whether it's overt or covert judgment, it's some it's coming across and it's perceived by the recipient as critical whether it's meant to be or not sometimes. And so there's everything from breastfeeding, bottle feeding, dummy, no dummy, cloth nappy versus disposable nappy, when to introduce solids. We've got children with allergies. It is really, really difficult. We can't even get agreement on, we're supposed to promote exclusively breastfeeding for the first six months in life. And now we know with um, the abundance of allergies out there that there's professionals across the world now, you know, wanting to introduce some sort of other foods at maybe four months of age. I mean, still not hasn't gone through the World Health Organization, but just to minimise allergies to nuts and all these other things. So I think a lot of things going hand in hand with choices and then we have people passionate about one choice and not measuring up with that, that other choice. Yeah, very difficult. And if you're going through some sort of underlying mental health condition, whether it's postnatal depression and or anxiety, we know that's going to affect them even more. So... I think some of that SMS for dad stuff we spoke about before, about those sharp, short, sharp messages about have you thought about what your, your partner's gone through today and, you know, maybe say they've done a good job or how are they feeling is really important. So you've definitely got to acknowledge that. Dads, we talk about being a bit more resilient, but we do know that one in ten of those dads will maybe not be as resilient as the others and it may affect them as well, similar to what it would affect the, some of those mums. Yeah, I used to do a program called Baby Makes Three. I used to facilitate that. It's down in Melbourne. And uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it really is an outstanding program. It's it's done antenatally and postnatally. There's two separate classes. And it's it's about, uh, it's kind of a gender equality type of thing. And that was one of the, the strong messages that came through is that those new mums do have those either perceived real expectations and that the father has to kind of you know be supportive and 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 be there and just kind of whether or not they're real or or you know just perceived then they have to be supportive around that i wonder if you might comment on parental fear and as uh, maybe perhaps from your background as a midwife as well and that what you've seen as as uh, how it's changed and 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 it's pandemic because it's not just australia uh, fear is of childbirth fear of parenting is is really quite widespread in our world at the moment and um, I wonder if you might comment on that. Definitely. There's two things there. One is fear and now the other thing to tie into that is that you do have a choice. So I was doing it. We had a caesarean section rate of about between 15 and 17% in public hospitals. Now it's close to 30% or a bit higher. I haven't got the latest figures on the top of my head, but at least 30% now it would be. And that's to do with fear and choice. Second to that is in the private hospitals, it's now up to about 45% cesarean section rate. And I think that's to do with, well, fear is part of that. I mean, having a baby is just a, a, a massive thing. There's a lot of pain involved. Pain relief is a lot better nowadays, but approaching that antenatal period all the way up leading to the birth and about choice and about that, there's some underlying fears there. And you hear stories from Everyone you bump into in the street, you've got family telling you, you know, it's going to be terrible and, and, and things like that. And it just builds and builds and builds. And um, I think we're doing a bit of injustice to the, the, the natural system of the body is meant to do this. 
And rather than supporting other methods of more midwifery care, you know, direct midwifery care, we have your own midwife, you get supported all the way, and you have a doctor if needed at the end, those mothers who are going on that journey of seeing the same midwife all the time are feeling more secure and, and tend to have a better birth as well and use less pain relief, etc. So I think um, we can do more to address the fear and, and reassurance around that. And having the fathers, it's difficult for fathers, as you know, during, the, during a, a birth to try and be supportive, but there's you need to talk to your partner beforehand about what, what they think you should be doing during birth as well, not what you think would be supportive, but really about what they want at the time and it changes during the birth as well. And um, I recall back to my three children and being a midwife at Westmead Hospital and having the, the obstetrician wanting me to help deliver the baby and my wife told me to get back up the other end of the bed and hold her hand and be supportive, not, you know, that was the time to support her and, and I didn't really picture that in my head. It was more about the whole experience, but really... The job there of the father is to support the mother no matter what. And it's if you get to cut the umbilical cord later, then that's good and, you know, all that. But it's really your job is paramount to supporting your, your partner. And can I say in that regard, and being a midwife, when I say support your par- partner, it's not just about holding their hand and helping them breathe, but it's about if there's any warning signs that you're not sure of, it's about asking those questions on behalf of your partner about, you know, why is the baby's heart rate dropping? And, you know, all those sort of things. It's it's not to sit back and, and be silent. It's also to be an advocate for your partner and your, your unborn child. So you have every right to question some of the things that are happening. You shouldn't feel that it's a bad thing to ask sometimes. Oh, thank you. That was so brilliant. Because one of my uh, hard bits of communication that I've had coming into this is that I I can't necessarily say too much about advocacy because if I really engage dads and they start to arc up in the birthing suite, they might be a bit of a problem for the medical side of things. So I'm, I'm kind of walking this fine line. So it's great to have you saying that and uh, and just kind of backing that up because um, that was it's the, small, it's the shortest video that because I've been trying to really, really walk a yeah. fine line of, yeah, you've got a responsibility yeah. to speak up, but maybe not too... Yeah. Uh, too much, but the cesarean is thirty-five percent. The most, yeah it's, yeah, it's gone up a lot. And I understand, and I'm the first one for choice as well. I believe that people should have that choice, but I think sometimes uh, our education and support doesn't allow them to make a choice of a natural delivery because of the fear. But anyway. uh, what can a dad do to support breastfeeding? So. Breastfeeding is an evolving thing, and um, the mother really needs to be available to do that when the child needs to feed. And so um, meal preparation, cleaning the house, things like that to allow the mother to, to breastfeed is really important. So that's the first step is actually providing them a, the opportunity that to do that whenever they need and not having expectations about meals being prepared, cleaning being done. So that's really important. The second thing is about we know a lot of the mums are really happy to express breast milk and allow the father opportunity to feed overnight or at different times. So that's another way you can really be involved and and have that face-to-face eye contact feeding. Feeding is the during the first three months of life or even six months, this baby is sleeping, you know, almost 20 hours of the day out of 24 hours and just feeding the rest of it. So unless you're feeding or bathing the child, you're not getting too much 
face to face. So if there is some opportunity to feed you with the express milk, then that would be ideal. But also allowing the mother that time and opportunity to feel. And the mothers might be in a breastfeeding chair, comfortably feeding, and fall asleep. And that and that is good because they need their sleep when they can get it. So allowing her to stay asleep after the feed is good as well. Yeah. So being that supportive, you know, is critical. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Uh, and uh, finally, I just wanted to ask you about perhaps uh, because you've got that background in midwifery, what have you seen men doing well in birth suite and, and what have you seen kind of maybe the mistakes they might have made or any common kind of issues or any comments about men and childbirth? Yeah, so I'm, I'm still getting involved in it. Actually, I watch uh, there's one, there's still Westmead are running, I think what it's called, but there's a a birthing one where you'll see the delivery suite and, and I see the fathers there and it's actually the same delivery suite I work for quite a lot of time at Westmead. But um, I see the fathers quite anxious sometimes going in, so I think sometimes they might attend the, the antenatal class. I sometimes think they're more skewered to the, the mothers and the breathing and, the, and that and not so much to the fathers and how they can support. I think the fathers nowadays are um, expected to do more of the breathing, rubbing the back, helping them in the shower, doing getting under the water with them if they need it and rubbing the back, swaying the hips, really getting really involved is good if you can. It's not for everyone and I'd hate to put the pressure on the fathers and think that everyone has to jump in the shower or have a water birth or all that with their partner, but really putting yourself out there to do as much as you can the meeting the needs of your partner or your wife or girlfriend is really important. And, that, and they know deep down, you know, what your capabilities are and they really appreciate when you stretch yourself. They know that you're, you're not comfortable doing it, but if you're pushing yourself, they can see that you're making that effort. So whether you succeed or not in your effort is not the point. It's just showing that you are trying to do more than you would normally do in that situation. I think it's just showing the effort there is really, and I see that coming through in some of those episodes I watch on the TV as well. Is that one born every minute? Is that, is that what it is? Yeah, I think it is actually, yeah. 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 Uh, and what about, what about what not to do? Yeah, what not to do is to try to take over the situation. I feel like there's one thing of being an advocate, the next thing is actually telling your partner they don't need the nitrous oxide or they don't need the pain relief or they, you know, they're not going to go on all fours, they're going to do something else. So I think there's... You know, taking that power away from the, the mother, I think it's important she makes the decisions, but that you're helping them with the decisions, allowing them to go with the flow of what the body body's telling them, whether they need to spot or go on a pause or, or hop in the bath or the shower. If you need a break, trying to make sure there's a, a, an additional support person available that can come in if you do need a bit of a break. I think that's that's good. So they're not left alone. Or, some births do go for a long time, and so it's important that you may have a backup person there. Yeah, I think that's really important. Again, brilliant, fantastic advice. Um, I was wondering if you heard have heard about Plus Paternal by Healthy Male. Healthy Male's a, a, a not-for-profit. Well, some of my staff may have. They, they do a lot of father engagement. So some of my staff might have heard about, was it The Baby Makes Three, that one you're talking about? 
Yeah. But Plus Paternal was an analysis of the Australian health system and how they were dealing with uh, the, the needs of modern fatherhood and whether or not they were actually meeting the needs. And it was actually a comprehensive literature review. Uh, they went into policy. It was funded by the Australian Department of Health. And so actually just just come out now and there's a lot of great things oh. on, on some um, changes that might be coming to this space uh, through the policy, oh. hopefully. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. We'll, 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 get, we'll get a copy of that amongst our clinical team as well. Yeah, I can send you a, send you the details and you can follow that through if you, if you like. I'd be happy to send you a that'd link. Be, that'd be fantastic, yeah. Yeah. So, there's always uh, learnings to be had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, isn't it? And I think it's also uh, a long-term endeavour, I think, changing, yeah. you know, culture around parenting and, and childbirth and all that kind of stuff. It's, it is a long, slow burn and... Uh, Oh, well, that's part of life, yeah. isn't it? That's just the way it, it is. Look, uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and to hear your uh, wisdom and advice. And, and I really thank you very much for, for agreeing to do this and, and also uh, for your generous sharing. Fantastic, Stephen. I think the only thing, other thing I was going to add as well, when I was talking about rough and tumble play in that early period, that sort of that flows right through to adolescence as well. And I've never, haven't really touched on adolescence as well, but I know I've got three children and my son is the middle one. And when he was becoming like in the 14 to 16 year age bracket, it's sort of like two lions in the house and they're sort of trying to develop their own identity. And so we would cross each other in the, in the hallway and he'd sort of give me a little shoulder sort of thing and I'd sort of shoulder back and, you know, so it was. It sort of just goes right through from those early days, right through, and I think it's. And they really appreciate that the boys are very much becoming men. They're going to be the next ones doing what we're talking about today. And I think them knowing you can be tough, but you can be caring as well is really important. That's a beautiful way to uh, finish it. Again, no, I really appreciate it, and uh, it's been wonderful to talk to you, to meet you, and I hope hopefully we'll uh, we'll cross paths again very soon. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much, Stephen. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. <laughs>